ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Sitting across from me, I have a special co-host today. We'll get to him in just a moment, but I want to take care of some business real quick. Um, as you listeners know, um, Greg is slowly going to be um, faded out of the These Go to 11 podcast for a long-term sabbatical. Uh, so I'm going to have a variety of different co-hosts with me. Jason is going to pop in and out uh, periodically and uh, he's going to give his bio in just a second, but want to give a shout out to Mission Aware, our uh, long-term sponsor. Mission Aware has great products. Greg and I were actually just talking about them the other day. They have great Yeti mugs uh, over there. Um, Yeti mugs are great because it keeps your drink colder so much longer and warmer so much longer than the typical mug does. So um, go out to Mission Aware, check out the great products, go under collabs and check out these go to 11 products. We have t-shirts, moleskin journals, um, all sorts of great things over there now. So check out Mission Aware. Um, so want to introduce uh, today's co-host before we get to our guests. So two new people on today, okay. Jason Loveless. Jason, how are you doing today, man? Doing very well. Good to be here. Good to have you on. Jason, um, tell our audience a little bit about yourself because you're new. So yeah, yeah. just, you know, brief bio, friends, family. Do you have any of those things and uh, <laughs> job, all that crazy stuff? So my name is Jason Loveless uh, from Baltimore, Maryland, born and raised. Still live there now. Um, I have, let's see, a wife. We've been married almost eight years. We have three children, five, three and a half, and one. And I have a cat, <laughs> my, my firstborn. Um and let's see, work-wise, I'm a quality inspector for one of those cool jobs where I get to say I can't actually tell you the details of what I do. Not as exciting as it sounds, but uh, I enjoy it. And I have one friend, Nathan, across from me. <laughs> Maybe a few others. We but, have another uh, friend, Nathan, who's oh, yeah, on yeah. the other side of town. He's a friend. If you're listening, hi, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and actually what's cool about your job is I did a summer internship for the opposite side of uh, your job. You've got the civilian contracting side, and I have <laughs> had the government contracting side, yep. so that's pretty cool. Um, and joining us today, uh, special guest Andy Collins wrote a great book, Cities of Protection. We're going to talk a lot about that today. But Andy, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for coming on and joining us. We're really looking forward to that, to uh, talking with you about this. Uh, Jason and I both read it and yep. loved it. Um, so really excited about that. But first, I want to give you an opportunity to go ahead and um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, my name is Andy Collins. I live in Brooklyn, New York right now, and I work mostly as a jewelry designer. And that's uh, primarily online sales to Etsy from my shop, Andy's House. much to say. I've always loved science fiction and sci-fi and movies and video games yeah. and thought, why not try to make one of the stories that we've been working on for many, many years and um, get it published? Self-publishing is uh, great for that. So. <laughs> nice. nice. Um, so, Andy, again, just so thankful for uh, you, know, you writing this book. Jason and I both really enjoyed yeah, it. for sure. Um, and what I would like you to do is just you give a description of your book because I know uh, there have been several cases in the past where we've had authors on and I've tried to give my description of the book um and the author you know has politely and graciously been like oh that was nice now let me actually tell everybody what's really about um so i'm just going to turn it over to you and let you talk about it sure thanks um so yeah so it's a post-apocalyptic story about a thousand years in the future but this post-apocalypse 
is after um, technology has advanced to the point where most environments and industries are very sterile and, you know, robotic and everything is very machine. So there's very little, um, you know, when things start to break down, there's very little that goes to deconstruct it. So the idea is like a medical lab society that is basically overrun by nature. So that's where the feeling of the whole story comes in. So it's, it is like post-apocalypse, but it's not really gritty or barbaric. It's very kind of, you know, um, it's a different take, I think, on what the genre normally is like. Even though there is barbarians and, like, there's a lot of vicious elements to the to the world at the point, it's still, I still wanted it to feel more um, sterile than that, you know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you said that because when I was trying to, like, talk about what style it was, like, it was definitely post-apocalyptic, but it was... Uh... More ri- like original is what I'd say. I couldn't quite pin it down. Like it was, yeah, I enjoyed that about it. Oh, yeah, and one of the things, um, you know, you mentioned that whole um, barbaric, you know, aspect to it. One of the things that Jason and I were talking about um, after he finished reading it was we liked how, you know, there there are clearly heroes and villains um, in this story, and we liked how. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned Game of Thrones, which is, you know, great book series, great um, television series, but it's it's a little too gritty and graphic yeah. um, in some cases. And you did a good job at really portraying, like, the the nastiness that is yeah. the main villain without going into a lot of that gritty detail. And that's one of the things that um, we actually both really appreciated about this book um, was just – you, you left yeah, a lot it's not too to, gory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You left a lot to the imagination, which I think is something that's almost lacking in in entertainment in general nowadays. Where you know we've got to show every little right. detail, every little nuance of of you know the depravity that is within a person, um, as opposed to saying, yeah, this person's really bad. Here are some of the things that are showing you why they're really bad, um, and you can kind of leave the rest to your imagination. Uh, and so we thought that was, you know, uh, really one of the great things um, that stood out about this book. Yeah, um, it was very, like, it was very well written. I, I really appreciated that, just because, like, it took it. Definitely didn't get vulgar. Like, there have been books, and actually, Game of Thrones was one of them where like, I had to stop reading because it was too detailed, and it's just like more like just kind of like what was the point? You could have like not missed like taken that part out. But I appreciated the way you wrote it, where the villain is clearly like evil and. Uh, but you, there wasn't the necessary like having to get into details that left kind of stuff up to the imagination and clearly paint a picture of, of who she was without being like vulgar. Right. Well, I think that's also a little bit more accurate with how people are too. I think that if you think about it psychologically, there's motivations for everything. So that was kind of the point of, you know, Damaris and like some of her background was just that she was a creature literally made a product of her environment. Like she was almost, you know, when, when she finally just like gives into her nature, she's almost like, what choice do I have? Like there's no other option for me to be this other than to be this way. So it was kind of like, and from her perspective, it makes sense. So, (laughs) so, so after that, you're kind of like, well, that's (laughs) how she goes, you know? But, um, yeah. (laughs) So, um, want to want to talk a little bit about the style that you wrote this in because I was actually really fascinated with 
the the point that you took because you're you're almost following a bunch of different storylines at once before they all intersect. I, I equate it to the movie. Um, Crash, that was the first time I really remember this happening where you're following a bunch of different characters and then they all kind of intersect uh, at the end of the story. And so talk to us a little bit about why you chose to go that approach as opposed to um, some of the other styles. One one character. Yeah. Yeah, I I didn't really know how to do it just with one character because, like, there were so many different perspectives or, like, different personalities, I guess. Like... I, I know that it's, I was, I'm glad it comes across okay, because it's a little I know could be confusing, but it's really, um, I just couldn't see how to do it any other way, to be honest, at the beginning. And, like, it makes it a little difficult later, because, you know, once um, you introduce more characters, it's hard to decide how much of a role they're going to play, because basically this one does have, like, five main characters. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of, you know, <laughs> it is a little, it is a little much to begin with because it's hard to like latch on to their personality traits or whatever. But, um, I think that's why it doesn't feel like it really gets going to like midway or halfway through. Cause then mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, okay. Now I know who these people are a little bit more. Yeah, so it's, it's funny to say that. Cause that's something uh, Nathan and I discussed is, um, I actually appreciated that you took the time and were willing to, develop the story and the characters in the beginning. Um, I could not find the the direct quote, but um, C.S. Lewis was the one who kind of first introduced me to, like, it's okay to start off slow. Like, in his own writing, he's kind of making fun of himself, but he's just saying, like, the story starts really slow. Like, I guarantee it's going to be worth it because it takes a little time in the beginning to set up where it's going and where it's leading will be well worth it. And I definitely thought that applied to your book where... It started off a little slow, but I was totally okay with that because once we got past like the the building, like which character is which, and um, you kind of got a feel for the plot. Like once I hit the point past that, like I just rolled through the book and just couldn't really put it down. And I just appreciated your willingness to take the time uh, as a writer to to do that. Oh wow, thanks. That's very nice. Thank <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. So we are here um, once again talking with Andy Collins. Wrote this book, City of Protection, Cities of Protection. Um, and Andy, this is this is a it, it is a lengthy um, book here, uh, six hundred sixty-eight pages, I think, or a little more than that. That's true. Or something, um, but, but it's it also is... my formatting. <laughs> like because you know I formatted myself, so that's a little caveat for any future self-publishers. You know, make sure you're margins aren't too large and all that stuff. Fair enough. But go ahead. Sorry. No, what I was going to say is even though it is, it is such a large book, um, like Jason said, you know, you get to a certain point and you just, you can very easily, um, read through it because it just, it, everything starts flowing together. I think part of the difficulty is in the beginning, um, when you took that time to really set things up, it is a little slower because you don't quite know where it's going. You don't know how these people are intersecting and then you start to put the pieces together Mm -hmm. and it really starts flowing. And so, you know, one of the things that I want to say to our listeners is, you know, deciding to pick up this book and read it shouldn't, um, you know, it shouldn't discourage you, you know, you should, you know, you should have an easy time going through it. Uh, Jason, unlike myself is a much faster reader. (laughs) I'm a slower reader. I think, uh, I think I got a copy of your book back in, um, January and it was, you know, 
April before I <laughs> before I ended up finishing it up, and then I gave it to uh, Jason uh, about midway through May, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I'll have this read in like oh, yeah. two weeks," and so he that's, did. And that's, that's that's saying a lot. Two weeks, that's impressive. Well, well, three weeks, three weeks, but uh, three weeks. Okay. It, it is pretty impressive uh, saying I have like you know three young children, a wife, and a cat. But uh, no, it was actually funny because my wife kind of got mad at me because um, Nathan, you know, set a deadline for like you know you need to read this by June. I'm like, okay, I can do it, especially because his wife told me I couldn't because. I was like, no, I can do this. It's cool. So, um, so I remember, like, I was sitting down, like, as I'd be playing with my kids, I'd actually be playing with them. Like, I'd have the book open, reading it, and like, just be in the same space as them. And wife would walk by. She's like, really? I'm like, no, I'm spending time with them. But like, it was cool because just like I really couldn't put the book down. And uh, it was, yeah, it was. It it definitely, like I said, it flew once you got to a certain point, and it was it was awesome. Um, so Andy, I'm wondering if you could just talk to us a little bit about the characters in your book and, and kind of, um, not giving away too much, but just some of the, the roles that they're, that they take up within the book. Um, you know, I, I, I've mentioned on this podcast before I've written a book, I've never published it self-published or otherwise. And part of that is because I'm still, uh, I'm still working on it. You know, I took it in one direction and then I was like, uh, I really, I don't really like where it's going, so I want to take it in another direction. But um, all of my characters serve purposes, and they have goals. And so I was wondering, um, even for our sakes, because Jason and I were talking a little bit about, you know, uh, okay, so how do you say this name? Well, <laughs> yeah. I say it this way. How do you say it? Oh, um, so, right. You know, the like, names, yeah. Yeah, you know, just like <laughs> if sure. you could just like give, you know, our audience like, okay, you know, here are the main characters. <laughs> here are their names. This yep. is kind of their purpose and function. Um, so if you can just set that up for us. Sure. Um, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that about the names, because uh, right after I told some friends about Damaris, um, a friend of a friend's name was Amaris. <laughs> and so she was like, you know, like thought that was funny. And then um, another thing, too, after um, after I published the book, Jaden is the main character, well, one of the main characters. I sort of think of her as like the main one, but um, yeah. she was, um, yeah, she's a military family type person but anyway so then um, my friend had a baby and I had no idea that she named the baby Jaden right. <laughs> but it's a boy but I was like ah, ha, ha, that's very timely and then um, uh, you know uh, her Jaden is much cuter than my Jaden but, um, <laughs> but um, anyway so so yeah so Jaden is um, I think the last name is um, Dominion it's kind of a I mean, I don't think I need to use, like, last name or whatever. But, so Jean has, like, a military family, and um, she's sort of in conflict with them because they have all the resources, basically, that are left, but they're not doing much with them to help people. So it's kind of a moral issue or, like, responsibility or ethical situation about, like, you know, you may have all this great technology, but if you don't use it for good, then what? is the point of it, you know, there's no reason to have it. Yeah. And, um, so then, um, Kyrus is kind of an engineer, inventor, um, with his family. Belfon is his father, uh, Leanne, his mother. Um, let's see, Damaris, who I just mentioned, uh, she's, I don't really know how to describe Damaris other than she has like reptilian qualities that yeah. she inherited from when she was, created and um she's still searching for her origins kind mm. of thing yep uh let's see marpuck is um weird i don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's he's got some mental 
just like issues, I guess, <laughs> or not really mental issues, but just, yeah, there's like a lot more going on with him. I yeah, think yeah. That, that is seen really. And then, um, then lastly, uh, Solest, who is, um, a basically a scientist, um, and he's trying to solve some of the problems going on that are happening in the environment, but yep. to no avail, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the way, the way you set this up was fascinating because I, I think, you know, you, you set it, first of all, in, in a very distant future, you know, a, a thousand, about a thousand years from where we are now, um, and, you know, the premise, and I don't think I'm really giving anything away because we find this out. Um, <laughs> w- well, you can read the back of the yeah. book cover and you find this out. But essentially, you know, the earth has about 100 years uh, left and, and it's going to it's basically going to die at that point. Um, and one yeah. of the things that I found interesting because I started, you know, I, I was thinking about that concept and I was like, well, 100 years. I mean, if 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 I'm living in that time in 100 years, that's not really going to affect me. But but you set this up interestingly because people are living much older at that point. And so 100 years really has yeah. a greater impact on the rest of the world. I mean, the equivalent would be if, you know, somebody were to come on the radio and be like, oh, yeah, in 10 years, everyone's going to die. Um, and so just what what were some of your influences? Because – I feel like, you know, this is this is a really unique and original story, but I feel like it also does draw and pull from from so many aspects. You know, you have so much going on with like dystopian literature and science fiction literature. And so what were some of your influences in in writing this story and and um putting it all together? Uh yeah. So the um the idea behind the contamination or the environmental disasters that um Basically, um, bioengineered organisms um, created in the lab that are uh, where these fake environments, and they get into the our atmosphere basically and contaminate it, and they keep spreading through the environment because they're organic materials themselves. So, the idea for that was really with the whole like GMOs that we have now with seeds and, and crops, how they will pollinate and then take over different areas and then spread, even though they're not technically, that's not the original design for them is to like take over the environment. (laughs) So like there was that idea originally, but this is a little bit more of a disastrous effect of that, you know? So like what can happen if you tamper too much without understanding the consequences, you know, of like what's going on um, with what you're doing. So, Um, and you actually, do something really neat as well. There's a huge, um, you know, and, and I say huge because it really kind of ends on this note and you see it almost threaded throughout. Right. Um, you see it more subtly because at the beginning of each chapter you have, you know, these kind of quotes that you've placed in there, um, by, you know, this philosopher, um, from, you know, from this history of the book. Um, but there's, you know, uh, kind of this spiritual, I don't know, Star Wars-y, you know, element that, that you can kind of almost see threading throughout. Um, and so just, you know, kind of um, curious, like, what was what is your um, kind of spiritual background um, or, you know, thoughts that kind of went into into this book personally and then more generally as well? Sure. So, yeah, there's definitely, when I was, I wrote it a long time ago, probably 10 years ago. 
Um, but I just never did anything with it. It kind of sat around in the mm. you know drawers for a while. And so finally, when I was like testing it off to like work on it again, um, I had changed a lot spiritually because at the time that I wrote it, I was reading a lot about Buddhism and Christianity and um, meditating and praying a lot. And then so finally, after all these years, I settled on Christianity and became Catholic. So that's where the kind of shift came in. So there's a little bit of like the Buddhism oh, okay. mm-hmm. <laughs> mixed in with the Christianity. Yeah. And that's where the, you see like there's the prophet, but it's also very much about good and evil yeah. and heaven and hell, which is not from Buddhism, right. obviously. So like there's, there's definitely like, there's like a strange conglomeration of both of those ideas kind of mixed in there. But, um, so that's where that came from originally. And then, and for some reason I was, was, I was taking that to, to be like, that was the original idea with, um, the experimentation with the children too. So there's the, when they start altering people, you know, mm-hmm. to advance them genetically, the idea can't be done without the thought of, you know, also a spiritual yeah. change happening as well. So like the brain and the spirit, you know, are connected and that's where some of that idea came from. Cause I just couldn't see how so much of ethics and morality and spirituality are based on decisions and thought and also suffering. So it's like, you know, the idea, if you take away some suffering, doesn't that automatically just make you more generous and spiritual? So it's like, you have more of a freedom to be a better evolved human. So that was, that was sort of the idea, but then also how that goes bad later. (laughs) So it's kind of like the whole, you see like a cycle through of like the timeline of whoops, you know, but it's a great try, but it doesn't always work out. Yeah. Um, so one of the, you know, one of the other things, and again, um, you know, for people out there, we are talking with, um, author Andy Collins, uh, cities of protection name of the book that she wrote. Um, where, uh, what were kind of your thoughts with looking at having these major, um, cities? I mean, as you get into the book, you, you know, um, people are going to see, you know, where, um, where the title comes from. Um, but you set it up with basically having, uh, four, is it four or three main cities? And then you have a couple other subsets of cities. And this runs, um, interestingly, you know, you've got this little map in the beginning, this global unification map, as you call it. Um, and, (laughs) and you run it all up and down the East coast of North America down to South America. And so what was kind of your, your thoughts and imagination going into having this spread and, and where to put these and, and locations and things like that? Oh yeah, sure. So, um, well, with Solace, um, and Lanthium, I just felt it had to be a tropical environment because so much of the research and um, studying the environment, there's just so much more plant life there. And, stuff. Mm-hmm. and then um, I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest, so that just had to get in there somewhere. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where <laughs> the, um, that's where the Mirror City Diashalon comes into yeah. play, but. Um, and for some reason, just because I guess I'm from there, like I picture that place very clearly. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and the rest of it, um, you know, the fortress and of Phoenix, and um, I think it was also just I really like the idea of nature being 
like an integral part of the how the environment was set up mm-hmm. because I'm like really visual person already. So I just wanted, I wanted Damaris's world to be very volatile and yeah. hot and rank as not totally rank, but you know what I mean? Just very aggressive environment, to right. hostile environment to live in like the desert. Yeah. I definitely like when you, which was even made more. Yeah. I like when you first, and then, um, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. And then, um, and then Jaden is, you know, more of the urban traveler, nomad, military, but she's camping all the time. So she's always like outdoors anyway, even right. though they have all their technology. And then Solace was very much like the the medical lab that's been overtaken by greenery. So it's just tropical, but very sterile at the same time. Yeah, I like the description when I first met uh, where Damaris and her, I feel like a wanted to call it a tribe at first where they uh lived and like it was well described like it was very i'd say like confusing i kept reading it. i'm like what in the world am i reading but that's kind of like the point of it It was just this like um very like uh i think it was described first as a volcano and like very hot and just like it looked like it was a big mess of people just going crazy but there was um what's the word there was a purpose to it but it was yeah, you definitely felt like where she lived, as you were saying, was like just like rank and just uh, volatile, and did a did a good job of describing like kind of the chaos, but controlled, I guess. Um, right, right. It's a good setup, like a lot know. of hostility, like very like the idea was that it's like almost like a cauldron, like kind of brewing. Yeah. You know, it's just always about to go off, but yeah. it never quite does, but it's always simmering. Yep. That's how like I pictured her personality, kind of. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, in that, I mean, one of the things that I kept going back to was, and and let me know if this was kind of an influence in this or not, but in your descriptions of these places, I almost, I almost pictured like what Tolkien um, had in mind when he wrote about, you know, like Mordor and, and the Shire and things like that as well. Like, you know, you had this very just desolate, uninhabitable, seemingly uninhabitable place with, uh, Venex where, or Venex where, you know, Damaris lived. And, you know, it's almost like everything had to be imported because nothing really was, you know, alive and well. And then, uh, Lanthium where everything was just, you know, almost this paradise, you know, um, what was, Tolkien kind of an influence of yours um growing up were you familiar with his stuff or um what was your kind of background with with some of that because I really I kind of got that vibe as I was reading through you know some of this stuff particularly with these descriptions and how you link them to certain people and in areas uh yeah yeah, I like that I visual that's a good that's a good um, analogy I guess but um I did read Tolkien as a kid growing up and stuff. I I think probably more of my um, reading influence like is like with the Dune, Frank mm. Herbert and like that kind of a thing. So yeah. it's probably more space related. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. as far as interest. But um, um, the funny thing though about the because um, when I wrote the story like I said a long time ago and I hadn't really researched much but Ganon, that one place, the city that has like all the orchards in it. Yeah. Well, um, it, well, I, I changed it later to be, um, that they were, you know, meat factories, they converted into orchards. 
Yeah. But the funny thing is, I didn't know that gammon was actually a definition of ham <laughs> when I wrote it. And I was like, oh, I can't have this like lush tropical forest, you know, called ham. Yes. <laughs> so, so I had to I had to change that and rewrite that so that it um it fit more with the yeah. point of the story. So then it was, of course, after the meat industry has fallen down that the, yeah. they moved in and stuff. But yeah, so yeah, there's like um the kind of the Visually, because I definitely pictured it visually this whole time. Um, it all started from this dream I had many years ago. And in the dream, it was actually not very tropical. I don't know where all the greenery came from. Maybe just from thinking about all the other futuristic sterility, it just made me want to have produce everywhere. I don't know. Right, <laughs> I, don't know right. I don't know where that came from. But suddenly it was like, okay, you're really smart. Let's grow lots of food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, I guess... I guess the lushness of that was like so appealing after all the hard, sterile, you know, machine-like living. So <laughs> yeah, I think it did a good job of describing like where Damaris lived versus, um, yeah, like where the twins were from, where just like you know this beautiful like huge fruit and produce and like uh, it's actually when Nathan was saying I I did picture like a like something from uh, Lord of the Rings where like when you see Damaris's or um, Damaris's world, like it's this dark music playing, and then like when it goes to um, like where, so what's the where the twins are from? Like what is that Gammon? You said? Oh, um, Gammon, yeah. Yeah, like I picture like the music that's played when you see the Shire. This is like this happy like you know, little flute, <laughs> flute. playing. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a good dichotomy there of of the like the good versus the bad. Now there um, there are some questions that I have for you because uh, the book actually. It, it ends, you, you, you very definitively wrap up the conflict that our characters are in, um, but you don't wrap up the overall conflict of, you know, people trying, needing to stay alive, you know, till, till the end of the world or figuring out a solution. So a couple questions for you. One is, are you planning on writing some kind of um, a sequel or even a prequel, yeah, prequel. Um, to kind of find out more about um, some things that are going on? Because you have these creatures in there that are the, the mantis. Um, and so, you know, like where do they come from and, you know, what's their role and function? Um, so did, did you have any plans for, for trying to do anything like that? Um, in in the future? Yeah, I definitely started writing some of the second story. Um, I am very new to the whole self-publishing world, so I'm still trying to negotiate, like, how to market and try to do all those things. So once I get a little try of that a little bit more, then I'll get back to writing, I think. But um, I basically had the next one all fleshed out. And um, there are some new characters and it definitely does take a turn. I think this, the next one is a little bit more psychological and like Hmm. kind of a little bit more horrifying that way. Like it's, I'm trying to, I don't know if it will be, you know, it's hard to gauge like how that comes across when you're trying to, to write that, like, you know, (laughs) right. Psychological thriller. I'm not really sure how that will play, but that's the idea of it is, um, there will be like, um, a, a different situation that arises after this one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to like say too sure. much. I don't know. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Is like, but it's the same, like most of the main 
characters are still going through. I I'm not and I'm not a person that would ever <clears throat> drop a whole bunch of storylines and then just start complete new ones without. You know what I mean? I just right. I don't like I don't care for that style when you have to like relearn forty yeah. people right. and you're like, oh, where where's that one person I like? You know. So I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> right, <laughs> but right. now, uh, without without uh, giving too much away, are you intending on um, taking out, aka killing off any main characters? You don't have to say which one or anything <laughs> like that. But is there are there you know future plans for like oh this person is definitely going to die? <laughs> <laughs> you mean the R. Martin? scenario yeah, well i didn't yeah. kill everybody off so they're still there <laughs> most of so yeah i don't think that's uh that's definitely not uh, something I'm yeah nice. randomly killing people but, um oh <laughs> uh, let's see um no i won't i wouldn't say that they i'm not going to say that anybody like specifically dies but i would say that sometimes like changing and transformations are almost the same thing mm. that's what i would say about that mm. i would say that Sometimes life changes people in ways and situations that there's just no going back to who you used to be. So that's definitely obviously happening for all of them. But I think that's what is going to happen more in the next one is like this one seemed more like the whole world was shaking everything up and Mm -hmm. changing and like the environment was coming at them and changing. Next one is going to be more about everybody processing that and kind of, how they start to affect everything else. So it's more like a focused on the people and how they start to change as yeah. a consequence. So that's, which I mean, kind of makes sense, I guess, because, you know, once there's no way you can go through something that, you know, damaging and horrific right. and then not have consequences. Like there's got to be consequences for things. That was one of the things about sci-fi that I always find frustrating is that there's, a little, I mean, yeah, there's the future and there's supposed to be certain rules that you can break, but there should be sort of a natural, like, substantive like, feeling about the world and it should have some basis in, like, how people are and, you know, like, no matter, because even technology should show us that no matter how much we advance, we're still people and we still do certain things that are inherently natural to us, you know, so. Yeah. That's what I was trying to keep with the people. Like, I know that they're, smarter and more advanced and they have a lot more access to, you know, abilities, but there's still going to be that like human nature and like quality of like impulses that you can't escape from. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and that's one of the things that I thought was great was, you know, you really, you brought that across in the characters, you know, and you know, they're, even though they're living longer, their, their ages are relative to, you know, their lifespan and their, their mental capacities essentially are relative to their lifespan. Um, so, you know, you have, you know, these 40, 50, 60 year olds kind of running around, but you know, they're almost like the young kids, uh, because, because developmentally, you know, they're, they're kind of in those stages. And so they process things, things as younger, um, you know, teenagers or young adults would, you know, where you have these, you know, veterans who are, you know, a couple hundred years old and, you know, the, but they're processing things like you think, you know, your hearty, you know, 50 year old veteran would process things. And so you, you really did a good job at retaining that, that human nature 
component, you know, that, that the world is, you know, still messed up and there's still a lot going on and these people still need to process in ways that, that make them feel like real people, you know, so you have, you know, within the military, the military, you know, grouping that you have, you know, they're hoarding these resources, but it's, you know, they're, they're following through on their mission, you know, they're just, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. And so we're not, we're not deviating from the mission um, where you have Jaden, who's the younger character in there in the military group, who's, who's kind of bucking against that kind of fighting the system. You know, there is, you know, there isn't really a system that's setting up giving the orders anymore. Um, and so she's now bucking against everything that she's grown up with and known. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I really did appreciate about that is you see these conflicts that are going on within these groups and they're real to what the groups would be experiencing. Yeah, it's something. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's something to go add on to that. Like it definitely felt like the characters were real and like their thought process was real. Um, I read a lot of like sci-fi fantasy and sometimes like you get this cornball situation where like um, the one character knows about a bad guy and he tells his buddies and they're like, oh, it's not that bad. And they just like forget about it and move on. And like, you know, something's awful going to happen. But I liked in this one, like uh, when Ky- Kyrith, Kyrith, sorry, you said his name. I Kyrith, yeah. Kyrith was like talk, talking to the twin, the, not, they're not twins, talking to the brothers about like how awful Damaris was. And they're like, oh no, she's fine. We don't have to worry about it because we live in this perfect world. And, like, he wouldn't, like, just be like, oh, okay, we'll move on. Like, uh, he kind of forced them when talking to Miss B, like, forced them to face it. And, like, um, like this is the reality of it. Like, no, I'm not going to forget about this evil person. And just their actions were true to how people would really react. And it wasn't like uh, nothing felt set up or forced. It was very natural in how, how they acted and reacted and responded. Oh, that's good to hear. I, it was really hard to find that tone, especially in a science fiction where you are, you know, I'm trying to create a sort of like post-utopia world, right? So right. everything was great and perfect and then fell yeah. apart. Yeah. Then you're trying to take these characters that are used to having everything go smoothly and function perfectly, and then suddenly it's not like that at all anymore. So yeah. you're, <laughs> it's almost like a shock as well as, readjusting to like what's happening and like you know i think i mentioned that it's like a lot of people just get you know gave up and like couldn't handle it or whatever and so it's like the the point was just to try to to do that but it's hard to do that when um you know you are, have certain expectations i guess of how sci-fi yeah. go and you, i didn't want it to be so much just how you know, like quick, everyone arm up and let's go get the bad guy or whatever. <laughs> right, you know, I just, right, yeah. I just thought <laughs> that I was trying to make it more of a human effort instead yeah. of, you know, the stereotypical one, but. Yep. Yeah. No, and I, and I definitely, I, you know, agree with Jason. I think a lot of that really just came through and you did an excellent job at, at bringing that out. And I know for our listeners out there, we're, we're being so completely vague about so many <laughs> yeah. things, um, Sorry. But, but, but part of it is, yeah, there is, there's so many things that are going on. And so it's, it's like, well, how do we, how do we talk about this book without giving things away? Yeah. Because there is so much going on and there's so much that we don't want to give away. Um, with it because it is it is truly worth the read and truly worth getting into. Yep. 
Um, you know, one of the things that Jason and I were also talking about is we have a lot of, um, we have a lot of people that listen to this podcast. We have a lot of families that listen to this podcast. And so, um, Jason, you know, one of the things that I like to do when we're, um, critiquing books is just kind of talk about age range. And so, you know, Jason and I were talking and Andy, we'd love to give, get your feedback as well. One of the things that we were thinking of is like, you know, um, obviously parents and families have their own criteria of what they want their children to read and don't want to read. But, you know, I was looking at this thinking, you know, I'd be very comfortable with, you know, my, you know, 15 or 16 year old reading this book. Um, you know, again, depending on, you know, you knowing your children and, and, you know, them, you know, but, but to me, I would say, I, I think that's, you know, that's kind of a good age range. Um, not just, you know, because of content and things like that, but also, you know, the, the themes that are going on, within the book as well. Jason, your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I think it's a similar age range. Um, definitely like for, you know, having young children, I often think about like, uh, Nathan and I discuss a lot, like what movies would be appropriate, would not. And I think, um, I think the 15 to 16 year old and above is, is a good age group because it allows like certain themes come up, which they can question. And like, as a parent, like I've read the book and it would, kind of make a good dialogue for like uh if there are some of the scenes where like oh that was a little that was man that was that was pretty intense um it would allow like i feel like they're old enough to talk through it and kind of um like mature enough at that age to handle the conver- like some try to be like once again being vague it's uh not giving away too much right. but yeah i think i'd agree with nathan that that's a that's a good age i feel like a little younger might be too intense uh some of the scenes but i'd agree with him there and then, Andy, just want to give your thought and opinion on this, too, because, um, you know, writing the book, you're going to have a general audience in mind as well. And so what what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, age range, you know, picking up the book and reading it? Yeah, so I I completely agree with that assessment, I think. Um, when I would talk about it being a movie to adults, I would say... It's, it's kind of like a PG-13, but a little bit more graphic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's some graphic parts. But, you know, it's not quite our... I mean, it's, it's a little bit graphic, but it's not too... There's, like, there is definitely some, you know, violent aggression stuff yeah. in there and mm-hmm. things like that. But, like, so I... Yeah, 15, 16 is a good age to start. So I hadn't I hadn't pitched it to anybody's kids. So uh, <laughs> yeah. it was mostly uh, yeah. older folks like myself. So, you know, I hadn't really had that concern. <laughs> yeah, up until now, so. yeah, even then with, with but, like the, the scenes that might be a little more intense, there's like a purpose to it. Um, there's not, it's not just there for the sake of like, oh, let's have this scene for entertainment. Like it helps to create, I'd say most of them happen with Damaris. It helps to just solidify like how evil and how much she's given into just this is who I am, and um, there's there's a purpose for it. It's not just random like scenes for the sake of having it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. It's. I mean, there's definitely there's also an element of like you know fantasy or un, you know yeah. the certain parts that are so unrealistic that it's <laughs> not unrealistic, but yeah. so fantastical that it's not. You know, I don't worry about those parts so yeah, much. It's sure. more about like the people being mean to people. That that's kind of the. The ones you worry about are those ones, but um, yeah, it's, it's not too much. There's there's some there's some bad parts, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think I think that's good too because it does it shows it shows life. I mean, yeah. it shows that we don't live, you know, in a in a squeaky 
clean, you know, dressed up little world, you know, and I think, you know, oftentimes, you know, when, when I talk to people, you know, and, um, you know, we are, we are a faith-based podcast in, um, these go to 11. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times when Greg was on, we would talk about the fact, you know, the, the Bible talks about some really hard <laughs> stuff, you know? So even reading the Bible, something people, yeah. you know, you know, generally think, oh, well, you know, it's just, it's, it's all, you know, good and, and love and roses. And no, there, there's some pretty hard stuff, you know, people taking, you know, stakes and driving them through, you know, people's heads and, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in there. And so this is, this is life and you want to appropriately introduce your children to these stages of life at different times, you know? And so, you know, a 15 or 16 year old, again, you know, you knowing your children are listening audience and, and what they respond to, you know, this deals with, uh, you know, a, a vile, uh, creature, an enemy who is, you know, looking to, um, you know, she, she knows Damaris knows that, you know, this is her last little bit of time on earth, um, and, and it's interesting because at one point you even, you even have her wrestling with that kind of dichotomy where she wants to go in and just wipe out everything that's, that's good because she doesn't feel like anyone really deserves the, those things because she never had them. But then she kind of wrestles, well, do I just go back and, you know, live the rest of my life, you know, out and, and forget about it? I mean, ultimately, she makes the decision, no, I'm going to go through and, you know, drive out everything that I hate. Um, but, you know, those are, you know, those are decisions that even on minor scales, I think we as people can relate to. It's like, you know, the whole misery loves company mm -hmm. philosophy, you know, <laughs> many times in my life I've been in those situations where it's like, I'm not happy and I don't want anyone else to be happy, you know. And so you, you have those situations that come through that are very real situations, you know, and of course, a person that has more power and more ability is going to be able to act on those things in a much grander scale than someone like me who's just miserable and the only person I'm going to make miserable is my wife who's next to me. So, you know, um, I, I think that those are really, you know, good things that you brought up and good things for, you know, people to remember as as they're reading through this and, you know, deciding, you know, if, if they want their children to read through this and, and all that, so... Right. And also, I think where you guys are, I hadn't really thought about this until you mentioned it, but the point about relationships, how, um, so Jane and her military troop, like, she can, she relates to the world in that way, how their relationships are. And some of those are romantic or whatever. And, you know, like that's, and with some of her family. And so it's, you know, you see from the perspective of like, I don't think you can know somebody without understanding about how their relationships are. Mm -hmm. So that's how it was with Damaris too. Like I couldn't, I couldn't write Damaris and Talamay together without creating a very kind of, you know, like seeing how yeah. far Talamay had like submitted and, you know, right. sucked into Damaris's world. You know, she was completely given over to that and yeah. she had no, you know, you know, this was like, you really had to like, I mean, I, I did try, like, playing some parts down a little bit more, and some of it, it's just, it's just hard to, like, do that without getting that feeling, because then you come to the repercussions of that, so you have right. a, whatever action there's going to be, the, whatever situation is created from that, so, you know, that's where the relationships were, that's where the 
that's where a lot of that stuff comes from, unfortunately, <laughs> with yeah. the violence and aggression. It's <laughs> like a relationship. <laughs> sure. So, unfortunately, that's how that works. <laughs> right, right. But... No, that's great. Yeah. Well, we do, um, you know, we want to be uh, mindful of um, mindful of your time. And so, you know, thank you so much once again. Um, again, for our listeners, Andy Collins, um, her book, Cities of Protection. We do want to do a um, giveaway. So we're going to do a um, five-book giveaway for our listeners out there. Um, and all you have to do is go on to the Facebook page, type in Cities of Protection, and like Andy's Facebook page, Cities of Protection. Um, and what we'll do is, um, Andy, if you want to go ahead and just, uh, we'll, we'll have the contest kind of run for, um, a week. So this podcast will actually release, um, on the 20th, I believe that's Tuesday. Um, and then if you want to run that to the 27th and then we can go ahead and, you know, put that out on the Facebook page, who the winners are. And so, you know, that way we'll, we'll help you generate some press for your Facebook page and get this kind of out there and, and spread to, um, to the different people who are, who are listening. And, um, you know, again, I really, I hope this does well for you. This was an excellent book. I was talking to, um, a friend of mine the other day, um, we were reading a book that, um, is, is, not well known, um, but we were we were talking about that, saying you know it's a shame that books that are so good don't really get a lot of press, yeah. and um, so we hope that this helps you to get some of that press. And um, you and I can talk a little bit afterwards because I have some other contacts to give to you as well of people who are interested in reading this and um, um, possibly interviewing you for their podcast. So, um, Andy, okay. thank you so much for joining us. It was such a pleasure. Um, and oh, we're going to go ahead and, um, we're going to sign off now, Jason, Andy, we just rocked the Casbah cities of protection style. These go to 11.